Well, once again, good morning. Uh, I know you're probably getting used to usually seeing uh, me and Pastor Josh together uh, as we enter this month of June uh, in order to give each other some breaks and mix it up. We're going to do some different things. And so this Sunday, uh, you have only me. And so as we look at our text today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you want to prepare by getting uh, your Bible uh, there to that text or on your phone, whatever you use. And uh, I just want to invite you as we begin uh, just to join me in prayer. Lord, as we uh, come and we reflect on your word today, uh, we know that as we read it, as we hear it read over us, it it doesn't mean anything unless uh, the spirit moves through this time. And so uh, we just pray that as we look at this text, as we reflect upon it, upon our lives and our heart, that you would speak through this time, Holy Spirit, and that we would be present and uh, have ears to hear your word today. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our sermon series that we have been in really for the past month that is taking us through the book of Acts entitled Witnesses. And as we've been going through the beginning portion of this book that really uh, charts the, the spread and growth of the early church, and we're talking about being a witness, the thing that we are emphasizing is, is not only this aspect of witnessing by talking and sharing about Christ, but this aspect about being a witness by first seeing something firsthand being transformed by an experience with God that sends you out in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak about Christ. If we are to be a people who are to bear witness, uh, we first have to see it firsthand. We have to experience it. We have to be able to say that I was there and I saw this in my own life. Uh, This past week, I was uh, thinking about those moments in my life, uh, in the culture where you could sense something grand was happening, Uh, something that uh, seemed like it would forever change the way we moved as we went forward. And I was remembering the night that Barack Obama became the first elected African-American voted into the office of president. I was in college at the time in downtown Chicago. And it was this unseasonably warm November night. It was in the 50s. And the celebration of this crowd in Grant Park was swelling at this moment. It was an actuality of what we tell our kids, that you could be president someday. And now a whole people group felt this reality and it was quite a moment. Uh, Author Michael Chabon uh, writes about this book in his book, Manhood for Amateurs. And he says it this way. He says, I was there in Grant Park on the night when Barack Obama began to shoulder all the possible meanings of his victory. You could hear it in his voice. The weight of it settled on him. And in the simple judicious gravity of his language, you could see it in the glint, like the reflection of some awful or awesome vista that lit his tired eyes. And on a giant television screen to the right of the dais, we could see what the world was seeing. And we could begin to imagine all the things that Obama and and for all of us were going to change henceforward. It was heady to contemplate and it was thrilling. As we think, as I talk about this, I just want you to take a quick look at the short video of what this night began to look like. If there is anyone out there who still doubts 
that America is a place where all things are possible. We still wonder if the dream of our founders is alive in our time. We still question the power of our democracy. Tonight is your answer. It was quite a moment in our history, but I wasn't there. I was in Chicago. I was in downtown. I was actually a mile away down Michigan Avenue, and I was eating a burger in a restaurant, celebrating my brother's birthday. And as we celebrated in the small TV behind the bar, I could see what was happening, but I missed it that night. And I tell you that for a couple of reasons. One, that though we live in this time that feels divided, that there is still hope, uh, hope of what can be, hope of the possibility of how history can be changed. I also tell you this because there is a major difference between an I was there and I wasn't there mentality. When you were there, when you are there, when you witness something firsthand, when you experience it with your life, you can tell the story. You can speak from memory and this tangible actuality of being present there. You can speak from this experience and it comes within seeing it firsthand. We are witnesses when we experience something firsthand in our life when we are there, when we have lived through it, and then we can tell the story. So how can we speak about Christ in an age of outrage? How can we tell of what Christ has done and is continuing to do in a time when it seems like the talking points have already been set? I think we can be witnesses when we begin to speak about what we have seen and heard God do in our lives. To tell the story, you have to experience it. You have to witness it firsthand in your life. And today in our text in Acts 9, uh, we see this famous conversion story of Saul of Tarsus, or as we better know him, uh, the apostle Paul. And throughout our Christian life, uh, we have a need in our own lives for conversion. We have a continual need for conversion. See, conversion is not just this one-time experience that occurs when we give our life to Christ. That does happen and that is a necessity. But as we continue to walk in Christ, as we look to live as witnesses, we need to go through these moments of mini conversions in our life where we begin to open our eyes to see what God is presenting to us, what we can discover as his presence is working in our life to see and to hear and to speak about what we have seen and heard. Uh, Author Eugene Peterson, he says, conversion is God's work. And I think that's such a powerful mindset because these many conversions we, we see is God working in our life, revealing something to us that begins to change our perspective. We need a changed perspective. And that's my sermon title today. A changed perspective helps us bear witness to God, seeing how he is moving in our life and in our world. In our text today, uh, this is Paul's big moment of conversion. This is his experience. And as he experiences it, as he sees it, it sends him out after the story to bear witness about Christ. 
We find the introduction to Saul of Tarsus at the very end of Acts 7. Uh, Last week, as we concluded, we mentioned that persecution began to uh, really affect the early church. And we see this story in Acts 6 and 7 of Stephen, one of the early leaders in, in the early church. And as he is sharing, as he's bearing witness about what Christ has done, we see that he falls under this persecution as a mob uh, comes around him and stones him to death. In the very end of the telling of this, we read this in the passage. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Saul was ravaging the church. Our introduction to Saul is that he is a persecutor. He is a Pharisee. He is a man with power, an official position. And he uses this power to break up this religious sect that he disagrees with. He is in many ways, in a sense, an executioner. Acts 9 begins in verse 1. It says this, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. When we first meet Saul, we see him described as a persecutor, a ravenger. But all of this begins to change in Saul's life on the road to Damascus, where the persecutor is blinded. See, Saul's journey in our text today begins with this clear mission. He sets out from Jerusalem to Damascus with this mission to persecute the Christian community. He asks the high priests for help so that he can continue to do this. Acts 9 continues in verse 2. It says, Saul asked him, the high priest, for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. What we, what we begin to see about Saul is that he is driven with this pursuit to live out his righteous zeal by stopping a group that he perceives as being perverters of the truth. Listen to how Paul, Saul describes his early life before Christ in the book of Galatians Uh, chapter one, verses 13 through 14. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Saul saw a people group, a group of people as being less than him that those belonging to the way of Jesus were perverters of the truth. And it was his religious prejudice and, and his, his emphasis on persecution that led him to be a persecutor. So Saul takes this trip from Jerusalem down to Damascus. It's a, about a 135 mile long trip. So it takes him about two to three days of a journey. And on this journey, Saul has many things to ponder. It's during this time of travel that he most likely has time to think through the events that he has just witnessed. 
that he is thinking about how he oversaw and approved of a young man's death being taken by stones that were hurled at him. This graphic image of being okay with death, of being an executioner. And this grappling with this role in this moment of death is is what begins to weigh upon him. And it was during this time as he is sitting and pondering this, that we see that God shows up in his life. Acts 9 verses 3 through 6. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from the heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. What we see right away in this moment of God showing up in Saul's life is this firsthand experience of Saul being both blinded and knocked over by this encounter. These verses say this bright light unexpectedly shone around Saul and it, in a sense, it, it totally blinded him to this moment. Have you ever been in a moment where you are in a dark room and somebody flips on the lights unexpectedly? You go through this, this pause, this weird state of blindness. Your eyes are needing to adjust to the light to see what is around you. Saul's eyes in this moment are being blinded to what he knew so that he can open his eyes to a re- new reality. He is in a state of blindness to adjust to this new life that Christ is inviting him into. The conversion of Saul is a firsthand personal account encounter with Jesus Christ. And in these initial moments, it blinds him to the certainty and to the religious zeal that he has carried with him. It is preparing him in this moment to change his perspective, to move away from the certainty and zeal he once had. What we see in this moment, in this passage, is a person of power who is going through a moment of questioning the certainty of that power. Saul's conversion in this moment is this call to loosen his grip of control, his certainty of how the world functioned, his certainty of God's role in this world in order to discover this reality of life that was coming in Christ. And that is what happens when we see Jesus show up in our lives. He blinds us to our vision of life. And he invites us to die to our vision and to open our eyes to his way of life in order to discover, to see life in his name. Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes it this way. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And I think that this moment in this passage, this man of power who comes to this brokenness of this call of humility to lose his sense of control is so relevant to us right now in our lives and in our world. That as we go through this current moment, as we live through this amongst this uncertainty of a pandemic, as we navigate the tension of racial injustice, of protesters, of looters, of uncertainty, The only way that we are to see through this is to see in this reality of Jesus. 
We have to come to this moment where we begin to die to our vision so that we can see our lives, see our world through the eyes of faith that come in the life of Jesus. In order to truly see Jesus, we have to experience him not in our presuppositions, but in a way that alters the reality that we see in. Saul, a man of power, on his way to arrest a group of people that he sees as less than him, is blinded to his power in order so that he may see again. I love how, again, author Eugene Peterson talks about this moment. He says, maybe for the first time in his life, Paul is listening, not talking. He is looking, not demonstrating. He is worshiping God, not pushing people around him. This is the conversion moment. In order for us to bear witness about Christ, you have to lose your vision of certainty and control so that you may be able to see again through the life of Jesus. See, righteous zeal can cause us to live with a skewed vision of reality. And it prompts us not to treat others in compassion, but as problems that we have to solve. Saul's encounter with Jesus gives him this time to adjust his vision. See, for three days, Saul is blinded and he is led by the hands of others. It's these three days of being blinded that begins to convert Saul out of his grasp of control and into this life of being led by another, preparing himself to be led by Jesus from this moment on. The man in power becomes powerless when he sees his need for a savior. In order to really experience Christ, we have to have a sense of living not in control, not being blinded by our certainty, but instead losing that sight of control and beginning to live in this vision of faith. To be a witness you first have to offer your way, up, uh, your way of seeing up to Jesus in a way of being willing to die towards it to move forward. Don't let righteous zeal or power give you this false sense of control, but you need to lose your control to discover God's way of leading. The road to Damascus is about a persecutor's blindness. But as our passage continues, we see in the second set setting that it's at Straight Street that we see the persecuted who begins to see. Saul is blind. He is in Damascus. And as he was supposed to be there arresting Christians and bringing them to Jerusalem for trial, instead he is sitting in his blindness and waiting. And in this moment, we are introduced to a next man who also experiences a moment of conversion. Uh, Acts 9 verse 10 says this. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he responded and said, here I am, Lord. After Jesus shows up to Saul in a vision, he continues by showing up to one of his disciples in a vision, this man in Damascus named Ananias. And he asks him to do something that seems unlikely and impossible. Verses 11 through 12. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is 
praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain sight again. If the road of Damascus is about a persecutor losing control, then the straight street is about the persecuted learning to trust in God's control. See, what Jesus is asking Ananias to do is such an unlikely task. He's asking Ananias to go to the man who has a warrant out for his arrest and to minister to him, to put himself in this vulnerable and dangerous situation. Listen to Ananias respond in verses 13 through 14. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The role of Ananias in the conversion of Saul is profound to me. What Jesus is asking him to do is to be a representation of this minority religious movement of Christ and to go to the majority, to go to the man in power, to go to the one who can arrest him and bring him back to Jerusalem, the one who has the authority to stone him and execute him. If Saul's conversion is about losing his vision of control, Ananias' conversion moment is about gaining a vision of the deep grace of God. Jesus answers in verses 15 through 16. He says, the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias looks into this fearful situation and he obeys. Verse 17, right away, we see this beautiful and profound moment. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul. Do you see this moment in our passage today? The persecuted coming to the persecutor, a man who could have turned out like Stephen, who could be arrested and killed by Saul of Tarsus, he reaches out in this moment and he places his hand upon him. And just like that, the tables are turned. The persecutor is in this vulnerable situation. He is blinded and he is waiting and the persecuted comes and he lays his hand on him and he calls him brother. This is the text that I need to hear this week the man in power coming to a point of losing his control and the man who he has come to arrest approaching him, not running and hiding, but in faith reaching out and calling him brother. This week is, we've seen countless videos of police standoffs with protesters where we have seen in city after city images of division, of anger, real and understandable anger. We yearn for these moments, these moments of conversion. We pray for these moments where people can see each other as brother. And yet at the same time, as we've seen these images, we've also seen the images of police kneeling down with protesters, humbling themselves, 
finding unity across the lines in cities like Portland, Denver, Tulsa, Chicago, these images of embracing and meeting, of kneeling and weeping. If we are to bear witness for Christ, we need to gain a vision of faith. We need to gain a vision of the deep grace of God. The zealous need to humble themselves. And those that are going as the persecuted need to find this new level of trust in the grace of God. If Saul is converted from his control, Ananias is converted from limiting God's grace. And there is a deep sense of forgiveness that is characterized in Ananias. And I think that if we are to bear witness about Christ, we need to develop an ethic of forgiveness in an age of outrage. That as we are called to have anger, righteous anger at times, as we are called to speak into these situations, undergirding all of this, we need to form an ethic of forgiveness. If God calls you to go, you are to go and see his grace on display. And look at what occurs in this moment as Ananias, the persecuted, lays his hand on his persecutor and calls him brother, verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized. Both men, through their visions from God, meet in this divine moment of new sight. Our perceptions lead us to live in control and in fear. But a God sighting, a vision from God in our life, a witnessing of God's power and grace lead us to live in faith. Neither Saul nor Ananias knew how these sightings would pan out, but they trusted that God did and he was leading them. See, how are you continually letting God's vision convert your life out of control and into faith. The scales fell off. And this entrance of new sight in Saul's life begins to prompt him and push him forward in this role as witness because now, because he was there, he can tell the story. And that's what we see at the end of this passage. And this is the call in our own lives to tell the story. The scales fall off and Saul can see again. And in this new profound clarity he has, he operates not from a sense of control, but he operates from this reality that he has witnessed Christ firsthand. And now his whole life and his mission is prompted to be a witness, to tell the story. Acts 9.20 says it this way, immediately, Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Paul's life becomes defined by telling the story. In fact, this conversion story of Saul is one of the most repeated stories that is told in the New Testament. We see it here in this passage. We see it again in Galatians 1. We see Paul talk about it in Acts 22. We see Paul talk about it in Acts 26. It's one of the most repeated stories in the New Testament because what Paul is saying is I was there and this is how I saw God move. This is what I saw and this is what I heard. 
And that's my invitation for you today, to tell your story, to tell the Jesus story, to talk about what you have seen and heard. To be a witness, it means that you've seen God show up in your life. You've had such a profound experience with him that it calls you out of this vision of control. It calls you out of this vision of faith. And instead, into giving up that control to God, operating from faith and trusting in the profound, deep grace of God. When Jesus transforms who you are, you go out and you tell that story because you have been forever changed. That's what it means to be a witness. Acts 9 is about Saul, but it's also so much about Ananias. One man had to lose his vision of control while the other had to expand his vision of God's grace. They were there. And because they were there, they both saw it. They saw it firsthand. And so they can go and tell the story. You know, I regret not being there on that warm night in November in 2008. Not only to celebrate a monumental point in the history of America, but honestly, so that I could tell the story to my kids that I was there, that I remember it, that I remember how profound and powerful it was. Uh, On this past Tuesday, uh, there was a group of faith leaders organizing uh, a united march of different religious groups coming together, uh, protesting police brutality, calling for justice, but also praying for peace, praying for unity. And as I was discussing Uh, with Brooke, how I could make it work, how I could make sure I was there for so many reasons. As we sat there and we talked, I looked at her and I said, you know, Brooke, I I need to be there and I need to be there so that I can tell my son I was there for him, that I can look him in the eyes years from now and say, I was there, Zach, I was there for your life. I was there so that I could continue to tell you the story that I saw God moving in a divided world, how he was bringing about unity in his name. It's those kind of moments that we don't want to miss out on. We don't want to miss experiencing God showing up. A call to be a witness is to seek the presence of God leading in your life to say, I was there. I heard it. I saw it. And it changed my life from this point on. And I will never be the same. Don't miss out on these moments. Show up to being present to God. Be present to his presence. And through this vision of his life, live and operate in Christ. And that's how we gain a changed perspective. You lose your vision to see in Christ. We need to grasp this call of humility to lose our sense of control to put down our own power and begin to trust in God's leading. We need to navigate our call for grace and forgiveness in this vision of gaining steps of faith in Christ. In these days that we are in, my encouragement to you is not to see through the certainty of your vision, but in a moment of conversion, open your eyes to what God is doing in a new way through seeing through this vision of Jesus. Tell the story. 
Tell the Jesus story. Tell your story. Talk about what you have seen and heard God do in your own life. As we close this time together and as we prepare our hearts for worship, I want to pray over us. And as I pray, I just want to invite, as we do week after week through this series, we want to invite you that if you have not witnessed, if you have not seen and heard God show up and do profound things in your life, if you have not given your life to Christ, we want to invite you to give your life to Christ today to see in a new way, to convert your way of life, of seeing not in your control, not in your fear, but in faith in Christ. And for those that are continuing to to seek God showing up in their life, I wanna invite and encourage you to don't give up, but to press on and don't, don't believe that you have found it all yet, but continue to discover where God is showing up in your life, how he is giving you these mini conversions to see in a new depth of his grace, of his power at work. Join me in prayer. Lord, we come before you today. And as we pray, I, I wanna invite all those that are watching, whether they're in their living rooms or whether they're watching it somewhere in their house or elsewhere, to extend their hands out in front of them with their palms faced up to the sky. And Lord, as we come and we pray in this posture of not only humility, this posture of saying we are not holding on to anything, we are not holding on to anything away from you, but we are coming to you in openness. And Lord, we come before you today and we say, open our eyes to seeing you anew. Convert our vision of life, Lord. I pray for those today that need to embrace and to see in this new way of seeing in life in your name. Lord, I pray that they would give their life over to you, that they would confess that they have uh, faltered, they have sinned, repent of those sins and to find forgiveness in your name and to live in this new reality of forgiveness and grace. Lord, I pray that you would continue to challenge, nurture and push forward uh, those followers of Christ who are seeking to live out your name in their life cause them to see that they don't need to hold on to control, but they need to follow you in faith. Lord, lead us during this time and help open our eyes to the reality of how you are calling us to reach out our hands and call those across the lines, brother, and embrace them in the new reality of the family of God. Amen. Well, amen. Uh, Join us as we respond in worship and prepare for communion.